Welcome back to What Does Judaism Say About? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox, and with me always is the illustrious Rabbi Beer. How are you doing today? Fantastic. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What does Judaism have to say about the individual? So when you say the individual, I assume, because I'm good at reading minds, you mean in regards to the individual's role in a community. Right, as opposed to, let's say, the community. Right. So should an individual say, my individuality isn't important? The only thing that's important is the community? Now, everybody recognizes to an extent for a community to function, sometimes have to compromise. You play your music really loud at 4 o'clock in the morning, your neighborhood isn't going to appreciate it. So right. you have that, to work that, within that's like a, um, That's like an individual rights kind of thing, but more like... I think one of the one of the one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Torah community certainly is it looks like just like a sea of of black and white, let's say, you know, and is everybody just subsumed into the culture or into the crowd there, and that's it, or is there a role for the individual? I'm not talking about how do you find your role, but like, is there a, what is, what does Judaism say about what does the Torah say about this role the individual plays, you know, and um, and how do we look at that? Okay, so let's look at a couple of sections of the Torah and how we define our community quantitatively. So we take a census. How do we do that? So we're counting up how many people are in the community. How do we do that? So normally door-to-door, knock on the door, hey, how many people are in here? But there's something unique about the way the Torah says to do that. Mm-hmm. And what's that? Well, we, we I know that if you if you hang out with Jews long enough, you'll see that they they don't count one, two, three. I've seen people go not one, not two. I don't think that counts. I think that's the same thing. They'll count kippas, or they'll say like a, a passage in the in the Torah to count. Um, but obviously, we're not talking about a normal census because we're not going to do things the normal way. We're going to do it different. We do everything differently, I guess. <laughs> but the Torah says when you count people, v'nasnu ish kofer nafsho laHashem. Bifkodosam, you count with a coin. That coin is somehow an indirect way of counting. And then it is safe or it is proper to count the community. Something called the machsa shekel, the half coin, which was used in the desert. The half shekel. Yes. Nothing to do with the new Israeli shekel that we take around when we're in Israel with Ben-Gurion's face on it. This is a totally different... It's unlikely it had Ben-Gurion's face on it. <laughs> it's unlikely, but it had his hair somehow. Maybe, somehow or his lack thereof. So so everybody would contribute. And they wouldn't count the people directly. So everybody would take this coin, this half coin. It's a, it's a whole coin, but it's worth half a shekel. Correct. A shekel is a certain amount of weight of silver, gold. It's a weight, also a currency denomination. And... There is a simple symbolism in the half that each person is being part of the community, but there's also a point in which they aren't being counted directly, but there's something being used to count them with. Why is that? So why are we putting coins, collecting them together? Ostensibly, each one is the number of the person. Everyone puts a coin in. It's interesting that each put the same thing in, each putting in this coin. So it, it is equivalent to, say, a binary number. Everybody is one. Everybody has their own little coin. And you put them in, and then they would take the census by counting out, of the, out of the hat. Now, there is a practical application that that makes sense. You, you know, instead of going house to house, writing it down, you just have everybody send in their thing, and you could 
stick in a sack and pull it out and sit there in the in the treasury and count it. Sure, but the Torah sounds like there's this this is a requirement. It's not just a convenience. Right, for so, sure. So why why are we avoiding counting people directly from mm-hmm. we now have this understanding that we shouldn't count a group of people as a number. So Nachmanides writes that uh, Jewish people shouldn't be directly counted because they're compared to the stars. We know that Avraham was told that his people, his descendants would be like the stars of the sky. And you, in fact, could count the stars. I think there are something like 6,000 visible stars. So is Nachmanides saying you're not allowed to count the stars or just like you literally cannot count the stars? I think it's the second. Therefore, you're, you should not count the Jewish people because we are. So why can't why can't you count the stars? It's not possible. Well, you can count the ones you can see. But that's not them. But that's not them. There's a lot more there. So if you limit a community mm. to a number, you're suggesting that this community is limited. Limited. You know, it's it's fifty thousand. It's five hundred thousand. It's five million. And whenever you do that, you're somehow suggesting a limitation to the power of the community. So that's a basic idea. There is another idea that when we count people, we're going to look at them as a mass. This is a city of 2.1 million people. This is a city of 650,000 people. Right. You see this issue with the Holocaust. You know, it, it, there was a great documentary. You ever see this documentary, Paperclips? I have not. Okay. So we got to check it out. We got to do a screening at Penn or something. And, and it's unbelievable. Basically, there is a school in, I think, Alabama, wherever it was, that was trying to fathom the concept of six million, and just couldn't couldn't fathom it. it. became It became a just a figure. Six million Jews died. Six million. What does that even mean? So they began to have people send in paperclips, ask people, and they counted six million paperclips, and and that's how they began to put together this puzzle. And the individuality came out through this project, as opposed. It's also, by the way, what Yad Vashem is trying to accomplish. Yad Vashem is. That, that beautiful passage about giving people a hand and a name and expression and who they are as opposed to just part of a figure. So I assume that what the Torah is hinting us to is this idea. We don't, we don't want a city to be called, oh, New York's telling people, there's 10 million individuals there that have And each lives. individual is his own world, has his own unique persona, has his own unique angle and his own unique perspective. And if you just make it a number, like a single block, 7.8 New Yorker, million New Yorkers rather than a city composed of a huge number of important independent entities that are working together in some sort of fusion, then you're missing the importance of the individual. So by doing this, by not simply reducing us to a number, but saying the individual isn't directly subjugated into this mass of numbers, but we take an intermediary, we're saying we don't want to lose respect for his individuality. That's a really important point. It's very interesting that it almost seems counterintuitive. You put you put the person onto a equivalent coin because we can count the coins. The coins can be a mass of because we need to know the number. It is important for us to understand what our community is composed of. But we want to just say you're directly as a human being, just you know, a little piece of this big mass of Jello. Right. You know? No one wants to be the Jello particle. That would not be a fun. <laughs> you are you. <laughs> we'll take the coin and make that the big pile of stuff. Right. So we're we're putting that that roll onto that coin, and you and you stay you. You stay you. Beautiful. There's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin, tractate in the Talmud. The Mishnah says that when the court would try capital cases, 
they would warn the witnesses in a very severe way about the, you know, the severity of what they're they're undertaking, potentially killing the, someone. Because the witnesses are going to testify, and then the person will be put to death. They're going to testify that, that somebody murdered someone else. Potentially, right. this is a capital offense. Right. And they would tell the witnesses that if you destroy one person, it's as if you destroy the entire world. And if you save one person, it's as if you've saved the entire world, because you eat because each individual is his own world. And don't think that, you know, well, it kind of would be worth the collateral damage of killing an innocent person because, you know, then the families won't feud anymore or whatever kind of calculations psychopathic mobsters make. But each individual is his own world. And the Mishnah ends off with a, a proof to this. The Mishnah says that if you have a somebody who's making molds, or making something out of a mold, a sculptor, uh, you know, you're, you're some sort of, you know, some sort of machinery that produces an item. Every item looks the same if it comes out of the same mold. God created humanity out of Adam and Eve, and every individual looks different to show that every individual is unique and special. And therefore, the Mishnah ends off that every individual can say, is obligated to say, because of me the world was created. Wow. So, we physically look unique to make this point that each one of us is in fact unique and special. Meaning we don't just look unique because we're humans and really all squirrels look different to different squirrels. Squirrels really do look the same. Uh, I, I'm not a squirrel. I can't really. <laughs> right, because you always wonder, you know, do dogs really, do dogs see things we don't see with other dogs? But like, really, at the end of the day, human beings we know are immensely different looking. I mean, even twins, you'll see differences in terms of their features that enable to identify them. You know, my mother's an identical twin. Your mother has an identical twin? Or is yeah, identical? she is. Thing. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to do a podcast about that. Or not, but, you know. <laughs> that, that's really interesting. So, so when they were talking to the witnesses, is that to say that they should f- find a reason not to find this person guilty? Or they're just saying, don't find them guilty for the wrong reasons? The point being, as... Many explain that the witnesses shouldn't say that it is worth killing a person who isn't necessarily guilty because of some other reason. Meaning, you have this mob fight, and it's just like, oh, let's bump him off because then the families will stop fighting. Like, mm. how are you to say mm. that the individual isn't worth living his life? Well, he's actually guilty, and you know you have to do it. I'm sure this must have applications then to how Judaism views going to warfare and things like that. Sure. How we look at the sacrifices that the community demands demands of individuals. Right. We went through this with the pandemic. How do you, how do you deal with that? With what the community needs versus what an individual needs, you know, public parks versus hospitals, taking care of children as opposed I mean, this, this, this would be a wide ranging application. I'm sure would come down and how we deal with resources. Sure. And, the most valuable resource any community has is human beings. So if you need to fight a war, you're going to ask and often demand that people give up their lives or put themselves in a position where their lives might be lost for the sake of the community. The United States has made drafts and drafted and forced people to fight to defend the country. That has to happen. You but, got a you got a draft card when you turned eighteen, I assume. And you got your social security yeah, card. Yeah, the right? selective service. I think I did also. Yeah, yeah. It was a very weird. I don't know if they do that anymore, but. I remember getting that number and I remember my mother sitting me sitting down with my mother and going through that, getting that draft number. I remember my father told me stories of, you know, when he was in high school in the sixties and they were drafting for real right into Vietnam. And back in those times of Vietnam, you, 
you didn't come back. And then he told stories about standing in, in under the, under the moonlight with, you know, on a street lamp and it's raining and him and his best friend are sort of looking at what birthdays had been called, you know, cause, and, and the life trajectory was different. And then it seems like the United States couldn't have cared less who, <laughs> who's going, where's going. And, and it's, it, it, it almost, they call it the, that purposeless war. I mean, it's fascinating. Right. So you had worlds way. like wars like World War II, which public, the public popularity of that war was probably something, something close to 100% because everybody knew it had to be fought and right. the sacrifice was necessary. Right. Whereas if the country asks, and this is a great contrast that you're bringing up, something like the Vietnam War, which nobody knew why they were fighting it and there wasn't necessarily a very good reason for them to be fighting it. So why is the community, in this case the country, for its honor or its street cred or whatever it is, demanding the sacrifice of tens of thousands of young people's lives. Right. Absolutely. So there's a, uh, there, there's a contrast. We'll, we'll quote two wicked people, two, two horrible people, and we've got a different perspective from the Torah. We're going to World War II, aren't we? But, yeah, right of into- course. Of course. <laughs> we'll back up a couple thousand years to Nimrod. Oh, Nimrod. Nimrod, yeah. The, the original... Horrible person. Yeah, the original horrible person. <laughs> so Nimrod organizes, Nimrod is like Avraham's arch nemesis. So what, what years are we talking about? When is this all happening? Uh, what, what king is he a king? Is he a king? He's wealthy. He's a king of, of something. This is uh, close to 3,500 years ago. So Nimrod is, is the Tower of Babel. So he, uh-huh. He's the organizer of that community. And the king of what, Mesopotamia over there or something? In that area. Okay. Um, and he is, he's organizing community to centralize itself. You know, be in a central location, build this huge tower, which is supposed to symbolize their disconnect from God. And the Medrash writes that when individuals who are building the tower lost their lives, um, people would be wouldn't care about it. But if the tower itself, this is this edifice which was symbolizing their communal abilities, because an individual can't build a tower like that, if part of it, you know, if a brick fell off of it or part of it, you know, crumbled, that would upset them. They started caring more about the community as it's as an independent entity rather than a way for an individual to be more empowered. Wow. So the, the callousness to ignore the human sacrifice of the tower towards the tower itself reminds me of our conversation about communism a little bit as well. The practical way communism seems to work. Right. The way it shakes out. Yeah. And then we have this idea where uh, writer, where, where commentators in the Torah make comparisons between Nimrod and Napoleon's or Alexander's, where you have these huge dynamic personalities, these, 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 these really, you know, these, these personalities that just overwhelm a country with their charisma, with their charm or whatever it is that these dictators do. And they get people to sacrifice their lives or be willing to sacrifice their lives for a ribbon, for a symbolism of being part of this community. It's not bravery. It's not a, a symbolism of, look, I was willing to sacrifice myself so that my, you know, the women and children, the needy, whatever it is, can live. You know, like I'm here to protect other individuals. I'm sensitive. It's just like the concept of, of this nationality, of this, of this country, whatever it represents, is in, is in and of itself a self-important idea. I mean, Hitler was an expert of that. Sure. I'll give you a quote from Hitler. Uh, this is from The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. William Shirer. Great, the book, the book. The book, yeah. Excellent great, book. Great history book on World War II. He was an American journalist who was actually in Berlin at the beginning of the war. Whoa. And he, uh, so the Germans, the first really, really big German defeat was at Stalingrad. It's in the winter of 42, uh, 
uh, and the Germans lost something close to a quarter of a million soldiers, an enormous amount of equipment. And had the Germans pulled back and retreated when it became clear that it was not a position which they could hold, most of those lives would have been saved. But Hitler, the name of the city was Stalingrad, which was Stalin named after himself, and Hitler had this as a personal you know, it would have been a personal stain on his honor to retreat from that city. So he refused to let the army that was in that city retreat. And he was quoted after the battle as saying the follow, after saying the following, as saying the following, what is life? Life is the nation. The individual must die anyway. Beyond the life of the individual is the nation. In essence, he's saying... Read that again. Read that again. What is life? Life is the nation. Life is the nation. The individual must die anyway. The individual must die anyway. Beyond the life of the individual is the nation. Wow. Translation, it doesn't (laughs) matter if hundreds of thousands of people die as long as the honor of the nation is preserved. Did he feel that way about himself also? He He was a psychopath. He probably wasn't capable of feeling empathy for... You know, these soldiers who were, who, who were starving to death or freezing to death, it didn't matter. Well, all that mattered was the honor of Germany, which is him. Him. Him, right. So we have this, con- so we have this idea where, where the only purpose of the individual is to further enhance the community. Now, in Judaism, we recognize that community is important. There's a line the Talmud writes that a yachid, an individual's mace, passes away, but it ain't Sibor mace, that the community lives on. So we recognize that to an extent, it is worth an individual becoming part of something larger than himself. However, the community is only important in as much as it functions as an institution, as an idea to enhance all the members of the community. Sometimes that does require sacrifice. But when we look at the way the Torah says go to war, the Torah writes that uh, this is in chapter 20 of the book of Tvarim, the Torah writes that there's an officer that gets up, and when all of the people are gathered, when the Jews have to go to war, this officer makes an announcement who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed it, who has built a house and not lived in it, who has been engaged to a woman and not married her. You're at a critical junction in your life where you put all this effort into some very important life goal, starting a business. You built a house, started a business. About to get married. Or you are married and you're in, and you're in that first that first year. You're absolved. So yeah. you're it's it's Arison, which is I guess you're you're betrothed. If that's a, uh-huh. doesn't really translate very uh-huh. well into English, but you're at that point where you're about to be fully married, and the community says, "Look, we need sacrifice because we need to fight a war." But if you're at that crucial junction in your life where you've put all this effort and you're about to actualize it, take a step back and leave the battlefield. Because ultimately, the whole purpose of this war is so that this collective group of individuals can can express themselves. Can express themselves. So if you're at this point where you really can express yourself so much, I'm going to tell you to leave the war. What is the individual? The individual is everything. Not the individual is nothing. The individual is everything. Yes, we recognize that an individual needs to be part of a community because an individual can become larger than himself when he becomes part of a community. But ultimately, a community is only important if it has that focus and that perspective that we are here to enhance as many individuals as we possibly can when we gather together. That is really beautiful. And and so much solace in, in front of sort of what do we take out of things like the pandemic or... Um, you know, these difficult 
communal things we're all going through. It's it, we have to remember what we're going through it for. Remember, I remember you saying something on one of the previous podcasts me about love is is just the idea of so be a little nicer to your spouse in the morning, to your kids in the morning. Make make, make it about you. Better yourself. Better your like. Then it will it will sort of spread out to the community as well, and that individual you'll shine. But don't don't over prioritize that that communal effort don't 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 exercise that from yourself and re, and think that 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 you don't matter you, the whole thing was about you and your expression i can't help think that you know the way the torah describes creation that god created one human being adam he did he created right grass trees millions of animals whatever it was one person then I mean, that's a powerful lesson that's a very powerful yeah, lesson and that, that's always a balance you have to take your point a little further uh, you're balancing Find yourself as an individual, but also recognizing that you as an individual will be a better individual, a stronger individual, more complete individual when you're part of a community. And sometimes that does seem to require sacrifice, but what you're sacrificing for is hopefully yourself. Amazing. Thank you so much for tuning into What Does Judaism Say About? We'll see you next time. <laughs>